0: Hello and welcome to the Data Busters podcast, the podcast for all things school data. In a year when so much planning has had to change at the last minute, it's good to finally be back on schedule as we head towards the final straight and the much needed summer break. With books in the bag, reports just about written, and planning for 2021-22 in full swing, we're back to look at what has been happening in the early years foundation stage and what data busters need to know now. I'm Richard Selfridge, author of Data Busting for Schools and joining me as always is Jamie Pembroke, data buster extraordinaire, insight facilitator and all round data guru. Hello Jamie, how are you doing? I'm all right mate, Um,
1: I'm okay, I'm still in my house. Um, excellent not not traveling much uh working from home but yeah i'm i'm fine i'm fit and healthy and well and what have you so yeah i'm good excellent
0: and you, uh, again we've 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 written a book we've managed to do things
1: since we spoke last wow yeah we did we did that was that was the lockdown project wasn't it so it we was. uh we, we've written a book and um that's all sort of done and it's gone off to the publishers and they are going through it as we speak
0: so exactly. very exciting and- i'm really looking forward to january january 2021 is when we're hoping to get it out to everybody so which is good and again it's a follow-up to data busting for schools because again every time i I talk to people about data busting for schools they said right this is loads of really useful information it's good to know these things but i just kind of need a bit of a how-to guide Mm -hmm. um what should we be doing and we've been talking about this for such a long time and we've been we did it the current uh, situation we were out talking to people about data busting and um, sorting things out in schools and I'm really looking forward to seeing um, just people putting these things into place yeah. you know I've been working with various schools and maths yeah. who've been data proofing in the way which we're suggesting in this new yeah. book uh, it's going to be fascinating to see um, how things develop but as I say I think we've got a really nice um, just a good guide for everybody as to the tools you need and how yeah. to use them. I think it's like, a, it's like a sort of philosophy,
1: really, on, yeah. on data culture and data collection and data uh, management in, in schools um, that uh, even now, despite all the the, the the workload reviews and the, you know, workload reports, making data work report and the Commission on Assessment About Levels report all those years ago, despite all that, schools are still, main schools still still drowning in data, aren't they? You're collecting vast amounts and um, not necessarily high quality data. Um, Mm -hmm. you know what why the questions over why they're gathering it who they're gathering it for what they do with it what it tells them so hopefully we're going to we're challenging that and hopefully it will Push schools in the right direction. That's, that's yeah, I'm, exactly.
0: I'm looking forward to talking about that next academic year, because obviously from September we'll start talking about it and then we'll put lots of things in place. But we probably shouldn't talk too much about ourselves, although I'm really no. looking forward to it. And I say, if you yeah, want yeah. to know about it, anybody, do get in touch because yeah, there's absolutely. lots of things that we're working on. Um, otherwise, in terms of what's been happening in schools, um, we haven't, because we've been so busy with various other things, and planning this year has obviously been all over the place. Um, but since we last vlogged, which was um, in March-ish, um obviously schools have all returned. Um, yeah. everybody's back in school, aren't they? You know, there's you know, they're all they're all learning all the time because that's what's happened. We've got this uh, we've got well. this road roadmap to ease restrictions. We've been through a couple of steps, three steps now, and uh, it's not quite going to plan at the moment. Um, well, you say
1: they're all in schools. They're exactly. kind of all in and then Did out. Did you notice and then the irony? And then out. <laughs> so, yeah. Which is immensely frustrating and, and uh, sort of unsustainable, really, that uh, mm. you've got so many children out, whole year groups being sent home. My daughter was at home last week mm. um, isolating, which was very frustrating. And she was upset about the fact she missed various uh, club activities and what have you. So, yeah,
0: it's frustrating. And the numbers have been, you know, again, without uh, looking too closely at them, but, you know, the r rate has been up and people, more and more people are affected. And it's clearly affecting largely those people who haven't been um, vaccinated, which is, you know people that we are interested in those who are at school uh, yeah. and those who just left school yeah um and so yeah so it is having a huge impact i think my experience in schools at the moment is we're all just heads down just trying to get everything done let's yeah. get to the summer and just regroup but uh yeah it's definitely yeah. had a, a massive impact i say the, the the initial return was pretty successful in in march april but i think because of the large the you know mm. the national lockdown was still there um mm. but obviously we've now had to delay this move to step four um and that's been quite interesting because there is just you know the cases are rising with with younger people and it seems to be moving around quite a lot at the moment and then there are also the discussions about whether whether pupils should be isolating come september i know there's lots of political discussion about that at the moment so we'll see how everything moves forward um uh, it's just been fascinating to see the developments of late yeah definitely But, amidst all this uh, change, and again, it would be it would be really easy to miss some of the other more significant developments in the school sector, which aren't pandemic related. Um And one mm. of the things which we've been wanting to talk for a while is uh, the big changes in um, in the early years, early years foundation mm. stage. Um, because there's a lot of things going on there. So let's have a good look at what's been happening there uh, and what schools need to know about these recent developments. So shall we start with, there's a few things to talk about, um, but let's start with the reception baseline. Um, What do do data busters need to know about this then? All right. Okay. So this
1: has got a long, drawn-out history. This mm-hmm. uh, reception baseline. Um, Twenty fifteen was the first attempt, and that's uh, that was back in the days when uh, schools could choose. You know, so that was the first attempt at uh, implementing a reception baseline, um, it, it was uh, you, you choose your provider. So there were originally uh, there were six on the list. Uh, that was whittled down to three because it was it sort of decided on by how many schools. Um, chose the various providers. And if they didn't get enough market share, then they were kind of pushed off the list. So we ended up with um, schools choosing from uh, CHEM and NFER and also early excellence. Now, early excellence got the, the lion's share. I mean, it was, it was uh, almost, it was about two thirds of schools, um, I think, went with early excellence. Now, the difference between uh, early excellence um, and the CHEM and the NFER, is that the early excellence was a sort of an in-class, Overtime observational approach, much like schools already do, you know, much like schools were when, when they baseline children, and they assess children in, in the early years. That's pretty much what they're already doing. Um, whereas um, NFER and chem had uh, kind of uh, one to one uh, task based or standardised task based assessment components. Um, And then uh, some data was uh, generated from this. So schools did these uh, baselines. So there was a sort of trials, um, and data was gathered. And then the SQA were 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 charged with uh, uh, analyzing this data and doing a comparability study and um, looking at how comparable the data was from the various generated from the various uh, approaches. And surprise, surprise, they reported back and said uh this data is from the various approaches is not comparable so the comparability study came back and said the data is not comparable and therefore the whole thing was junked and let's start again um so uh they um next time round they they spec'd it out i think it was a bit tighter this time and they they specified that they wanted a more standardized approach that was uh task-based one-to-one there was no observational kind of overtime component children would be sitting with a teacher or um, a, a, a professional uh, sitting at
0: a table attempting to do these these tasks a cynic may say that it was uh it was specced so that uh, schools or that, that uh, early excellence weren't going to be able to well to yeah i mean i do wonder
1: if uh if, yeah. if nfer Man, got um a 67 percent market share in 2015 would it just go oh, well then we'll just go without them you know i don't know maybe but um here we are and and nfr is now the uh, adopted um approach so that's that's what uh, schools will be doing now of course uh, this has also been very very drawn out so um, I've, I've got a list here I'm just going to have a look at I've got a little PowerPoint list to uh, uh, refer to so 2018 19 was a trial year 2019 uh, 20 was a pilot year 9,656 Seven schools uh, signed up and 7,046 of those schools submitted assessments for all pupils so actually completed the assessment so there were some that just they signed up but didn't do it, any of it and some that signed up and did a bit of it um, 7,046 <coughs> excuse me uh, schools uh, submitted data for all all pupils um now it was supposed to become statutory 2020 2021 so that was obviously that was last september but obviously didn't uh, that some schools did run it. and um, That was then branded an early adopter year. So we had a trial year, a pilot year, and an early adopter year. And of course, now it's due to become statutory uh, this September. So uh, that's uh, where we are with
0: um, yeah, with, the whole with, with, with the
1: rollout. Mm. So uh, that
0: that's
1: that that's the that's the rollout dealt with. Uh, Supposedly, well, it remains to be seen. I mean, yeah. I, I suppose they could at the last minute go, OK, we're not going to do it because current situation's ongoing. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. Who knows? But the, the framework was published in May and it, mm. it says that it's a statutory assessment that's that's where we are
0: okay exactly and it's i think it's it's been a fascinating I say it's been a long drawn out introduction it's taken you know six years to get to here um and yeah. so it is going to be introduced in september um and i think that's given a lot of us who have taken a really good look at it time to think about um you know, whether it's, whether it's going to improve the situation we had before. Because, again, it's worth saying why it was introduced, because, okay. uh, you know, these things don't come out of nowhere. It was, and so it was introduced for all kinds of interesting reasons, wasn't it? Because of all the oh. anomalies that were happening and, right. you know, perverse incentives. So this, mm. as uh, data busters, this is probably what we're most
1: interested in. Right? Mm. Why are they doing this? Mm. What data will it generate? What data is that going to be used for? OK, mm. so uh, I think... Now, this is off the top of my head, and this may well have changed, but um, uh, there was it, it's out of 45 marks. So the last time I looked out it, that may have changed. OK, but let's go with that. It was out of 45 mm-hmm. marks. Uh, so it's 45 total on offer. And I think children ha- would have to attempt at least 26 marks worth of the assessment. So uh, just over half of it they'd have to do. There are discontinuation points. So if children you know, are not uh, coping with it, they can't do it. Um, then then they can uh, stop. I, I believe that they don't have to do it all in one go. So They can come back to it. But don't quote me on that. Someone I'm sure will we'll come back to. It and we'll, we'll have to check that, that later. Mm-hmm. But there are discontinuation points where a teacher can just decide or, or whoever the person is that's running the assessment, can just decide, right, that's it. Mm-hmm. We'll stop that there. Uh, it is scripted. Mm-hmm. So the questions that are asked, it's set up in a certain way. It is a standardized assessment. You know, it's not a standardized assessment like a, an NFER paper or a SATS test, but it is a standardized assessment and that it, you have to set it up in a particular way, and all children will attempt that uh task in a particular way, and that it is scripted. So the question you ask, um, you have to ask from the script. Mm-hmm. Um and then you record whether a child has met or not met, uh mm-hmm. sort of achieved or on or, or, or not achieved that that task, have done it. So it's it's uh um, you know, hmm. that, that's it. Um, now, one of the controversial aspects of, of, of this is that schools will not find out what the scores are from
0: this uh, from this <laughs> test.
1: Yeah, it'll be so they still maintain to use the, uh, the
0: jargon exactly. You're stuck in a black box, you don't get it from yeah, them yeah, taking out yeah. four or five um, until it's opened later when yeah. it's used in the um, accountability framework. Yeah. Mm. So,
1: so the DFE maintain they're not going to give access to uh, the, the, the the scores, um, which is really controversial. Now, I know that you, you'll talk about this in a minute. It's controversial in that it means that there is a different approach to primary schools and there is the schools because when we're, we're not we're not black boxing uh, sats results we're not mm. saying to secondary schools you don't get the key stage two scores but primary schools won't get the um reception baseline scores mm. okay so there, there's there's one thing now some schools said to me oh well it doesn't matter because we'll, we'll know if they've um they've achieved it or not because we've got to tick that on the computer, when we ask them the, the to do, if we know if they've done it, we record if they've done it, yes or no. But but the tasks are weighted, so you could say yes or no. So you could have a raw score. You go yes, they got that one right. They got that one right. They got that one right. They didn't get that one. They didn't. Get... And they've got 28 out of 45, right? well you don't actually know because they're weighted so the tasks are weighted they've got different scores assigned to them so therefore you don't actually know what the true score is you just can
0: uh, you can tell and that's the the kind of thing that schools might try and do try and interpret the results yeah yeah, yeah, because they they want to try and get some information from it but again from a data busting point of view we would advise you know the the reason why you shouldn't be doing that is because you don't know what the weightings are and therefore what you're probably going to do is spend a lot of time not gathering any information and it's actually more likely to misdirect what you're doing so you should Shouldn't do that yeah, you know, because i say because the way thing's set up yeah
1: so um there are a few little uh now of course what we, we, we took the purpose what we talked about the purpose of why they're collecting it they're collecting this for a progress measure <laughs> so at the moment progress in primary schools is measured from key stage one to key stage two and this has always been a bit odd because key stage one is not the start of um statutory education it's it's nearly like halfway through which more than a third of the way through so it's a weird point to start the other problem is that key stage one assessment is not uh standardized and the teacher judgments that um form the basis of the prior attainment groups are very very broad so there are all those sorts of issues around there and you know we'll, we'll have all those conversations about uh, primary schools uh, maybe erring on the side of caution let's say not having too many children level three in the past maybe not having too many children at greater depth and
0: there were a lot of perverse because... in- incentives there weren't there yeah, for schools yeah, yeah. to to kind of just take a view and it was all getting a bit goldilocksy
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so i part. used to jokingly say it's all a game of getting your key stage one results as low as possible without alerting too much suspicion you know and i i, I say it like tongue in cheek but I remember um, back in the day, head teachers saying, "Well, we don't do level three at Key Stage One anymore." Very openly saying that, you know, uh, don't I don't we don't do level three. Don't have level three. Two A is high enough. Uh, and then, and then you always then the conversation always turns to infant schools and junior school setups, you know, and and first and middle schools, and they go, ah, ah, but so yep. there's a really interesting paper by Education Data Lab on that actually, which suggests that uh, that standards were maintained at the point they stopped um testing like there was the the DFV used to collect key stage one test scores and then That's they right. stopped i can't remember when it was it was years mm. ago mm. 2000 and something they stopped collecting key stage one test scores and just collected teacher assessments it was like 10
0: 11 12
1: something yeah, like that it was, it was, it was I it's good know. it was a long while ago it, yeah. it was a long long while ago. i think it was earlier than that but anyway mm. so mm. so uh they, they stopped collecting key stage one test scores and at that point um, either side of that divide, standards in infant schools were relatively stable. Mm. They didn't re-drop or, or, or go up. You know, they just pretty much stayed the same. Whereas in primary schools, it went, poof, went straight down. There was this <laughs> yeah. massive drop. Mm. Um, and when level six, when there was this big mm. focus on level six, mm. uh, average point scores at key stage one dropped again. Because schools think, well, they've got to make three levels of progress. You know, have got this three levels of progress measure. And schools started to investigate the value-added measure, which before, like, nobody really, like, paid much no. attention to value-added. Mm-hmm. Just go, like, everyone just cared about levels because that's where the accountability... Was and that's where the floor standards were. It's so all about so two levels of to... progress,
0: wasn't it? Exactly. Think about the detail. No, because, no, two uh, levels of progress. Fine. The slicing and dicey haven't got quite as crazy at yeah. that point. Yeah. So, two levels of progress. Fine. Um, so, they started to investigate value added and think,
1: oh my God, you know, look at look at the impact that level three, they're all counted as 21 points. They're all counted <laughs> as 3 b So, no, we can't kind of, but let's look, well, 2A is high enough, you know. Mm. So, so we, we don't want level threes unless they're absolutely secure level three. Uh, and so, anyway, there was some manipulation going on of key stage one results, so mm-hmm. i think what the dfp want to do was standardize the baseline as much as possible and get mm-hmm. it as early as possible to measure progress over the full range of the, the, the sort of full width of mm-hmm. primary education rather than just a section of it so you can understand the logic behind it you can say why they want to do it but i also understand why it's it's really controversial. And, and I just mentioned infinite junior school, so it is worth uh, mentioning this, that when this is rolled out, the first time we'll see a progress measure based on the, uh, the, the, the reception baseline scores will be 2028. Mm. Uh, so it's gonna be uh, a long, long way off. A lot of changes will happen in that time and who knows if it will succeed and come to fruition, but it'll be 2028 but only for all three primary schools. So the decision was taken that there will be no progress measures generated for infant and junior schools. Junior schools will not have progress measures counted from measured from the reception baseline or from key stage one, because key stage one will be scrapped. So there will be no key stage one uh, data. So uh, junior schools will not have a progress measure and will be measured on attainment. And I believe that the statement said something like, Junior schools will be responsible for demonstrating progress to Ofsted using their own assessment information. Well, okay, why not all schools then? You know, it's a fair question. And infant schools, this is even weirder, really. Infant schools will be responsible for, will have a a statutory duty to administer the reception baseline, but will have no stake in the game because they'll have no progress measure because they can't be measured to, Key stage one because they won't be key stage one. And it'd be bonkers to measure them to end a key stage two because that's nothing to do with them. So they will have to administer the baseline, but it won't be used to, for any accountability purposes, for the infant and for the junior school. So the only reason why they're really administering it is in case an infant school child finds their way into at some point an all-through primary school, and then it will be used. <sighs>
0: It's all kinds of odd things within the whole thing exactly it's such a strange thing. but again I mean, but, but the core thing then is is saying that basically the situation we had before we've got progress measures in secondary schools which run from uh, from scores at the age of ten eleven through to yeah. scores at the age of fifteen sixteen, and the equivalent in primary school in uh, kind of primary schools and therefore um uh, that was it was more it was more problematic so now we've got this idea of, of of having a number which will be generated from September when the children are four or five that'll be compared to when they're ten eleven 11. Um, yeah. Again, we've talked about this, um, and as I said I did loads of, you know, just you really look into it and think, is this better than what we had before? How does it improve? What are the problems mm. with it? And there are issues with it in all kinds of ways because it takes time and effort in order to administer yeah, the does, thing. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, the, the, I wrote a piece for this a while ago, and I, and I still stand by it, which is to say that that actually, doing the uh, the reception baseline in which they're doing it where it does get black boxed, you have to administer it you get a number but you mm. don't know anything about it and it goes away into a box for so seven years later you'll pull it out and have a look at it um uh when the children are 10 11. i think again it makes it makes a load of seven school years later it makes it makes much more sense to say okay let's just do that don't worry about it um move on and particularly um and again my favorite statistic about this is seven years is roughly the average length of tenure for a head teacher in primary yeah service. yeah after seven years half of them have moved on um so most head teachers move on so if you're a head teacher you don't really need to worry about it because you're probably not going to be enrolled when it when it when it comes into play and if you yeah. are you should be able to explain that well i've made all these differences in seven years because that's a very long time ago uh, and so on so again you know I, I think you know it gives it gives the DFE what they want which is basically a number to be able to to, to say to schools well what do you think of this number um, and schools can largely ignore it and treat it as meaningless because it probably is going to be fairly meaningless mm. you know for any individual teacher so that's my consensus um, view on the thing is um, it's better than what we've got now because of all the perverse incentives it still has issues but it will reduce your workload and it will mean you can just get on with focusing on. Helping children to learn stuff, which is what you want to well, do. Well,
1: I mean, the workload thing, mm. it's, it, it's not going to reduce workload in that, you know, for the first few weeks of the half term, you know. It affects you, exactly. And there's a there. to take children out, mm. sit them down, do the thing, get, you know, get another one. Some children will have to do it like maybe over a, a, a protracted period because, you know, they yeah. might have to do a bit there and then they have another go at yeah.
0: it later on. Um, uh, it'll reduce the issues at key stage one i think and whilst there are you know well that's true you know so So, it'll it'll, clearly there is an implication when the children come yes again i've kind of joked with people to say the 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 reception baseline needs to be administered by um uh, an adult who's known to the children if you've got children coming into your school um you know if you don't have a nursery um then anybody could be known to the the children you know hire a a supply teacher in for the first four weeks, and just get them to administer. You know, anyway, the long, long and the short of it is there are there are some downsides, but I think uh, on the whole, um uh, I don't know. I'm going to be interested to see how uh, yeah. people react to it. But I think yeah. we've given people a really good uh, idea then as to where it came from, why you know why it's been developed, it's... roughly how it works. Um, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that moves forward.
1: I, th- I think it is important to uh, just clarify how progress is yeah, measured that's true. right yeah. so so this is important because yeah. we, we, we keep hearing i kept hearing this phrase oh it's a cohort measure it's a cohort measure as if that what they do is just compare the average score to key, at key stage two to the average score of, the, you know, seven years ago and not take into account um, movement in and out of the school. And that's not the case. Just as a key stage one now, if a child leaves a school and goes to another school, they take their key stage one results with them. Now, just because the school doesn't know what the baseline score is, doesn't mean that's not going to happen because it is. If a child leaves your does the baseline two years later, they, you know, they leave your school and they go to another school, they will take their, uh, their, their, their key stage because the, the DFE can trace children around the system using UPNs. They, they mm. will match... Value-added works of matching a child's result at one point back to their result at the previous point. The way it works is that children's baseline score places them into a prior attainment group. We don't know how many prior attainment groups there are. There's about 21 or something at the moment. Um, So there could be, say, 20 prior attainment groups, 25 prior attainment groups. So a child gets 27 out of 45 on their baseline test. You don't know that. They get to the end of Key Stage 2 and they score 104 in their reading test at Key Stage 2. Now, they're not going to subtract one number from the other because that's bonkers. What they want to do is they want to compare that child score, 104, to the average score nationally for children who got 27 out of 45, which might be um, 99. So 99 is the average score. It's not I've obviously just made that up. 99 is the average score for children nationally. You've got 27 out of 45, seven years previously in it, right? That's the average for the prior attainment group. That's the benchmark. Child gets 104, they are plus five. Another child with exactly the same prior attainment score of 27 out of 45 gets 96. They are minus three. So they do that for every child. They they place them into a prior attainment group there is a benchmark Key Stage 2 score for that particular priority group, which is the national average score for children in that prior attainment. And each child in the country, 600,000 children in a national cohort, are compared to uh, those benchmark scores. And what you then do is you don't, you're not supposed to refer to individual children's scores. That's pretty meaningless. It's the averaging out. So you take those 30 children in the year group, and some are plus four and some are minus three and some are plus seven and some are minus 10 and some are plus two and some are minus six. Blah, 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 blah. Add them all up, divide by 30. That's your progress score. And then they'll do some statistical significance test on it and say whether it's significantly above or below. And then you get a red box or a green box and everybody's happy or really sad or whatever. Um, uh, so that, that's what they do. And
0: it's, that's the cohort score. It's the hmm. average of pupils' progress scores. Exactly. Um, and uh, I, again, and, uh, and it's worth understanding that that it is that average that, uh, that it does. It. So it's done at a pupil level and then it's aggregated and averaged. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So if
1: a child yeah. arrives in your school in year six, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you don't know what their baseline score is
0: well to be fair you don't know what you don't know what any of the children's baseline scores is you shouldn't do although there is some discussion about a a sort of a narrative overview which because 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 a lot of people in schools have said but we want some information you really shouldn't be asking for information from it just put it to one side and ignore it but people have asked for information so it looks like there is going to be a bit of a narrative to say this is broadly what we can say about your people's but that's not going to follow the child around no exactly that's true it's it's an overall thing and
1: and, uh, you have to remember that when a child changes school now the head teacher, the teachers in that school will know what they got at key stage one. So they'll know what they're up against in terms of the key stage, but they won't know what they're up against from this Mm. point onwards because... Anyway,
0: exactly. So, so lots of changes there, said, and again, it will be interesting yeah. to see how that develops, particularly going into into September as people administer it. And and I say, there are roughly twenty four thousand primary schools. So, as you say, you know, a, a third of them just over have have had active experience. Others have looked into uh, 16, it, it, 000 it. Sixteen thousand primary schools. Isn't sixteen thousand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty four thousand
1: schools altogether. Schools, yeah, including special schools and secondary wow. schools. Okay, so just done.
0: about. So ah, okay, so then we've got so a good percentage of them, two thirds of them roughly, then will have, have had some experience of this yep. but anyway the whole thing will roll out in september and we'll I say it will be fascinating to report back on seeing how we get on oh yeah there's a lot more to discuss relating to the early years including changes to the early years foundation stage profile and keeping track of development in the early years um, which we're planning to discuss in the next data busters podcast but Jamie, it's been very interesting to talk about all of these interesting developments.
1: Yeah, uh, so it's really interesting to talk about Reception Baseline finally, uh, something we should have probably tackled a while ago, but I'm glad that we've done that. Um, and I know that will continue to be uh, a hot topic and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it rolls out in, in September. Um, so definitely really interesting that, keeping tabs on that. But the next podcast talking about changes to the Foundation Stage Profile, that's one thing and there are changes there that we need to discuss but the tracking thing the pupil progress and the workload related to it and it's particularly pertinent now because we've got changes to development matters which has been used um for quite a while now for for tracking and i I know this is a um this is an interesting one because what schools have done in order to track pupil progress is not really the sort of thing that we would advocate is it so uh Yep, we've got a lot Basically, to say
0: as data busters.
1: Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite painful, really, and the workload involved is is, is quite significant with statements and checklists and and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that early years really are, are you know are about to have or are having their assessment without levels moment. You know that they they weren't involved in that debate, uh, you know, five six years ago, not not really because they weren't because national levels and the curriculum levels didn't apply, didn't but, apply did um, no. hmm. but but essentially they are using forms of levels uh, and so now it is that moment of reckoning you know like what do we do now and that's, uh, that's going to be really interesting to talk about Excellent.
0: So there you have it. The Data Busters podcast is published, uh, well, fairly regularly during the academic year and it's available on all good podcast outlets. If you like what we're doing, then please recommend us to others. And if you've got any questions, feel free to send in a voice recording, which you can do via the Anchor app or contact us on Twitter, either at Databusting or at J Pembroke. So until next time, um, we hope our discussions here have helped you to decide what to do, Um, thinking about the reception baseline coming through in September. Best of luck with all of that and keep data busting.